Please take your seat so we can start the meeting. My name is Matt and I'm an alcoholic. This is an open meeting of the Atlantic Group of Alcoholics Anonymous and all are welcome to attend. It is our belief that our meeting structure is necessary to maintain the integrity of the group so that it may better carry the message of AA. And since the most important aspect of AA recovery is one alcoholic relating to another, only alcoholics participate. In any case, we hope that what you learn here may be helpful to your recovery and or understanding. The format of tonight's meeting is two 10-minute speakers, the first of which will speak on the second tradition, followed by our information break, and then our main speaker, who will speak for 30 minutes. Our first 10-minute speaker to share in the second tradition is Gail. Hi, everybody. I'm Gail, and I'm definitely an alcoholic. And I may be other things, but I'm an alcoholic. Okay? And the second tradition says, and I'm really grateful that Matt asked me to speak. Um, you know, there was a time when I was like, the steps, but the traditions? I'll just pass on the traditions, just like I would pass on the big book. But now I, I read the big book, and I do the steps out of the big book, and I read the tradition, and gosh, I learned something that I didn't know. <laughs> know it all. <laughs> For our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God, as he may express himself or herself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. What does that mean? Because, you know, I'm a big shot, and I've been in charge. And even though, and until I was 29, I thought I was God because God let me down, okay? Um, and so... So, and then when I came into the program, it took me a while before I said I was an alcoholic, and it took me a while before I believed in God or a higher power or something other than Gail. And the second step, which is tied to the second tradition, talks about the fact that we don't need to believe in, you know, a God. We just need to believe that there's something else other than us. Like, did I make the snow come the other day? I would have liked to have, but I didn't. Did I put the leaves on the trees? Did I turn the electricity on, which it talks about in the third step? No, I didn't, but it works without me doing anything. And so somehow or other, that kind of belief system helps me get over the part of the third tradition that says, a loving God. You know, it, for me, I'm not everything. There's something else. And what it says is that our group conscience over, it's sort of like a channel. You know, it's, I always say that, um, that, that um, doing the steps removes the cholesterol of my soul so the sunlight of the spirit can get in. Well, it's the same thing. There's a loving God and through the group conscience, we govern. So what does that mean? Well, it says that in no sense whatever, excuse me, can its members govern or direct the group. They are servants. I don't want to be a servant, but I do want to be a servant. But I don't want to be a servant, but I do. So I do it, okay? But I do it, okay? So what does it mean? So 
I, I've been sober for 37 years a day at a time. I don't know how that happened, but it did. I got sober when I was two. <laughs> anyway, I didn't, but, but if you stay sober that long, then I'm 80. No, <laughs> I'm only kidding. Anyway, what it means is, you know, I remember when I had about two or three years, and there was this guy who um, went to the workshop, and I went to the workshop all the all the time. Now I'm forgetting his name, um, but it's it's okay. I don't need to use his name, except to say that he would have meetings at his house, and he would invite who would come to the meeting, and it would be a very exclusive type of thing. And he was exclusive because I don't want to be a servant. I do want to be a servant. He didn't want to be a servant. He wanted to be the leader. He wanted to be the, the, the big mocker, okay? And he was the big mocker in his own mind. But what happened was he ended up slipping. And I'm not saying if you are the big mocker and the big bopper that you're going to slip. I, I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying that this relates to also the seventh step that talks about the fact that do we have humility or are we demanding things? And when I'm not a servant, most likely my will is coming out, which is in the third step, and it's all about that part that talks about our whole problem had been our misuse of willpower. We had tried to bombard our problems with it rather than bringing it into God's conformity for us. Um, that's the italicized part. I can't believe I'm quoting. But anyway, the thing is that, that none of us are too big for our britches, or should be. And the thing is, what, there's a lot of things, but one of the things is I am so awed by the structure of this meeting, and I wasn't always, because I'm, I'm a defiant, not servant alcoholic, but we all are. Um, and, and it was like, I don't want to do that, or why do they do that? I, I, why do they do that? And I'm sick of that, you know? And, and, and they call that in this tradition, not a naysayer, they call it, they, they make a distinction between a bleeding deacon, oh, her again, oh, is that, this is, we can't do that, and they are all into self-pity, versus a, um, a, a seasoned eagle, which isn't what they call it, but I can't, elder statesman, elder statesman. That's a seasoned eagle, right? Servant, not a servant. Okay, doesn't mean you can't be creative. Anyway, um, and they say that, you know, the group is elected. And although there's leaders, they're elected. And getting back to this group, there is so much that goes on behind, like, the, behind the scenes that I just don't even believe it. And I have to really take my hat off to Peggy and to Van and to all the people that chair this meeting and to all the people that chair meetings, virtual and otherwise, and do service. Let's give ourselves a big hand. Thank you, Van. Um, and the thing is, we get elected. So there's a chairperson and there's a treasurer. 
and there's a secretary, and there's somebody who picks up the, 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 the contributions. And what they go through in, in, in here is they're not doing it for themselves. They're doing it for the group, and it's the group conscience that reigns. So this is where I didn't know this in this tradition. Um, there's a story, and it's about Bill. And I'm assuming it's about Bill and, Lo and, and, and Lois. And it says that Charlie, who's at the hospital where Silkworth was, you know, says, listen, Bill, I know you're on hard times. Why don't you bring your business into the hospital and we'll start charging and you'll make money and it'll be good for the hospital, et cetera. And he thinks this is a great idea because he's on the balls of his tushy. And he, he's not making any money. So they were keeping boarders who were alcoholics and they were holding meetings because there was no other place at that time to hold meetings in the basement. And he went home and he told Lois, but she didn't seem too excited about it. And then he was like telling all the people and they turned around to him and they were the group. And they said, you know, we know, know that you're having a difficult time and we really feel for you, but we can't do this because it's going to change. And this is sometimes, what he said exactly was, Bill, haven't you often said right here in this meeting and sometimes the good is the enemy of the best? And the fact of the matter is they decided and the groups decided no. And you know, we, the preamble talks about the fact that we, you know, we, we don't put money in our own pockets. We, this isn't about any sect, denomination, or politics. Um, we, 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 we just do service, and, and we are trying to help the next alcoholic or the next person, as it talks about in the 12th step. And when I read that, I realize that Matt is our chairperson, and he's doing a great job. And it's a hard job, but he's doing a great job. And he's got, and so this, the last thing I want to say is this. Do I have a minute or I have more? Okay. So on Saturday, I chair the virtual Saturday meeting, you know, and I'm a perfectionist. And so I get on at 20 of, and I can't seem to figure out how to get on. And the lovely girls who have been doing everything, they're not there this week. And they were nice enough to stick around, but I didn't realize that that wasn't their job. It wasn't anybody else's fault. It was my bad. And I contacted this person and I contacted that person, but I couldn't get on and I was like, oh my God, what about the meeting? It's not gonna take off and they, I have to let them in and oh my God, such anxiety. Oh gosh. And then I, I ended up getting on three minutes before six and you were all there. <laughs> and you know, the meeting goes on whether I'm there or not. And if I weren't there, someone else would have had the dialogue. Someone else would have introduced uh, Shannon and then introduced Rodney. And the, we are a group and we are not a glum lot. And we make sure we take care of everything. So listen, do service because service is what keeps me away from my self-centeredness. And I am one self-centered alcoholic and but I'm not with doing all this service. So thank you so much and have a good night. Thank you, Gail. Our second 10 minute speaker is Will.
willing. I am willing. I'm not an alcoholic. I'm definitely nervous right now. <laughs> yeah, my sobriety date is May 6, 2019. Uh, I have a sponsor named Jimmy. I am a member of the Atlantic group. Um, when I got to AA, I was broken. Um, I was beat down. Um, I didn't know where else to go. I was divorced. I had lost two jobs. Uh, I had negative money in my bank account. <clears throat> Excuse me. And yet I still didn't know if like I should be here, right? Um, even after losing all that stuff, like I wasn't sure if like this was for me. I thought it was weird. Uh, I thought you guys were all weird, man, to be honest. Um, my drinking started off pretty innocent. Like when I look at where my drinking started and where it ended, they're two wildly different things, but it took taking time away from the drink for me to realize that. So. When drinking started, it was like innocent, you know? Like I lied, yeah, I lied to my parents, um, you know, so I could get, get away with it, you know? But those lies, they kind of built up like a coping mechanism that I learned early on. Like I, I started figuring out how, if I, got, if I lie, I'll get what I want. Um, and the first time I drank, when I found that, like I had found everything I was ever looking for. I found the thing that worked for me. I felt, I always felt like a weird kid. I know a lot of people come, come up here and say like, you know, other people had the manual for life and they didn't. Alcohol solved that problem for me. I, I can tell you right now, I immediately loved the way I felt. It solved, it made me, it took me out of myself, right? Like that's all I was looking for. It's like, I didn't want to be who I, who I was. Like who I really was, I hated it. I didn't like myself, I didn't appreciate anything. God forbid I had to share anything with anybody else. And then, you know, so I start suffering some consequences from my drinking, right? Like first it's, you know, the college saying, hey, your grades aren't doing well. So I'll cut back on my drinking. Hey, the job's saying I'm showing up late. All right, I'll, I'll cut back on my drinking. Uh, I can't do this all the time, right? Uh, but then I crossed the line, right? So then all of a sudden, like the next thing I know, I'm crossing these invisible lines I said I would never cross. Um, I'm doing other substances. I'm staying up late. I'm not, I'm not even showing up to work anymore. In fact, I'm just, I'm not even gonna call out. You know what? Uh, I don't wanna face, face, uh, face my consequences. I just wanna pretend it didn't even happen. I'll drink more and that'll help me do that. But then, all that selfish way of living ended up catching up with me. Um, somehow I got married. I convinced someone that we should be together. <laughs> and then she had enough. Um, I tried to go to re I went to rehab. I tried to save that relationship. Right? Like, what better way to save a marriage than to go to rehab? <laughs> I got served divorce papers while I was there, so didn't get, didn't get to that point. Um, again, I had lost two jobs, and I would love to tell you, like, after my wife left me, after I lost two jobs, I would love to tell you, like, I learned my lesson, and I showed up on AA, and I was ready to go. That is not what happened. I did the same exact thing with a different woman, with a different job, um, but the consequences ended up being the same. And then I had that moment of clarity, finally, like, the way I was living was no longer working, right? Um, so then I checked myself into rehab this time. I was like, I gotta change something, right? Like, I gotta do something different. I will say, like, I didn't have family in AA. I didn't know anyone in AA. Um, I will credit a rehab for introducing me to AA. I didn't know a lot about it. Um, I had one college roommate who, um, who had gone. He didn't think he was an alcoholic, but the state of Massachusetts did and made him go <laughs> on a weekly basis following a, an arrest. Um, and of course, he had no glowing, glowing comments about AA. 
So I do it, Rehab told me to do it. They said, go to a meeting, raise your hand, say, you need a sponsor. Um, I remember the guy, <laughs> I don't wanna get emotional, but he said, if you're afraid, if you're scared, you are in the right place. Um, and you, there is an answer. Uh, and that was the first time I was like, you know what? <laughs> I didn't think this was gonna happen. I'm more tired, I think, than I thought. But, <laughs> you know, it was the first time I was like, you know what? I think there is something else to do. I didn't know a lot about, hey, again, I thought it was weird. You guys like said things all at the same time. Remind me of church. Um, there was like, some of the meetings I go to, there's like paint, hand-painted walls, signs on the wall, like, let go, let God. I was like, you know, man. No, no, man. I thought you guys were suckers for not taking advantage of me, because I was so vulnerable. Um, that the money, you know, my brain was fried. Like that's where I was emotionally and mentally. Like I was just not prepared to be an adult. I was a 32 year old child when I got here. Realistically, even though I got managed to get married, managed to lose really good jobs, um, I didn't know how to live. So I'm meeting with this guy, and someone else called it the playbook the other day, right? The AA playbook, the AG playbook. Um, are you willing to go to 90 meetings in 90 days? Are you willing to uh, go through the steps? And are you willing to take another alcohol through the steps? Are you willing to get a service commitment? I thought they were all unreasonable asks, but I said yes to all of them. Because again, I didn't know how to live anymore. Like I didn't know what, you know, people said like, do the next right thing. Like I didn't know what that was. I only cared about myself for the entire adult life up to that point. So I start doing these things he says to do. You know, I start going to a meeting, I find a, you know, Atlanta group, I find other home groups. Um, I kid you not, I had like a service commitment at like six different meetings. So I, I had nowhere else to be realistically. Like. Also, too, like if I had a service commitment, no one could tell me I couldn't be there, right? So like I still didn't know if I belonged. I thought some people thought maybe I don't belong there, right? If I have a service commitment, if I'm the guy that makes the coffee or puts the chairs out, right? Like I'm, I have just as right, just as much a right to be here as you do. So I start doing these things, right? And then you know, a couple weeks, a few months go by, and all of a sudden I'm starting to realize, like, wow, I'm actually starting to feel a little better. People are asking me, like, how's your weekend? You know, like. Did you drink? No, then that sounds like a great weekend, right? Like people started to recognize me, remember me. Um, I call people, they're actually excited to hear hear my voice on the phone. There's no more of that like, what do you want? What do you need? It was actually, how was your day, man? And that was that was like groundbreaking, right? Like up to that point, like I literally was always saying sorry to people, always. That was how I was living my life. Always apologizing, always backtracking, always, always making sure every lie or told was getting covered by another lie. I can't say I like loved AA when I got here. Again, I think I already said that, right? But I, I just did not feel it. I was not feeling it at all. Um, but I kept going, right? Because like last house on the block, like nothing else was working in my life up to that point. And again, like a little bit of time would go by, and I started realizing, like, wow, I, I haven't even thought about a drink. Um, wow, like I actually have money in my bank account. <laughs> wow, I'm actually showing up to work when I'm supposed to. These are minor things that most adults do, but I didn't know how to do them, right? I literally had to rely on someone else, my sponsor some days, just to like, what do I say to this person, right? I didn't trust myself. And every time I tried, I got in my own way, things didn't go right, right? So I was starting to learn this new way of living, and that was, I don't have to do this on my own anymore. So again, like I showed up, I'm hearing these people say things that are resonating with me and it's finally like you know what I think I found the place I need to be and that's not to say AA is perfect my life is not perfect by any means like, like a few months ago this thought of a drink was like sounded really good for the first time in my sobriety but what did I do I talked about it with other people right I didn't just sit on it I didn't um, 
I didn't keep that to myself. I used to love to keep things to myself. I loved self-pity that justified a drink for me. If no one else knew the secret, that even made it even better, right? Because that meant um, I had a right to be angry or sorry or sad. Now that I'm in AA, again, some days I don't know. I can't say I know everything. I don't know anything a lot of times. I still have to ask my sponsor for help. I still call the guys when I think my boss is being a jerk. I still like, I still have to learn how to be an adult. Like I only have two and a half years. And to be honest with you, like I'm still not prepared for a lot of things on a lot of days, but it's been a lot easier ever since I joined AA. Again, I can't say everything's gotten better, but it's gotten a lot easier. And I just want to thank you all for giving me this opportunity to speak tonight. So thank you. Thank you. That was great. Uh, my name is Jimmy, and I'm an alcoholic. Our main speaker tonight is Cynthia. Hi, everybody. My name is Cynthia. I'm an alcoholic. Hi, Matt, thank you for allowing me to pitch hit tonight for you. What a pleasure. And of course, Gail and, uh, and Will, thank you so much. And Gail, thank you for mentioning Peggy. I stopped by today to visit her on the way up with Bella just to get Atlantic Group attire approval. And she gave me a thumbs up. I'm not quite sure. I think it was a thumb. But anyway, she was very, uh, she was very happy to hear that people were ask, have been asking about her. And Will, thank you so much as well. Oh my gosh, yeah, when I got here, I absolutely felt the same thing. The chance didn't go for that. The God all over the place that creeped me out. Where am I? And I really thought that you guys were a bunch of losers. And that's why I stayed away for so long. I was like, no way, I'm not gonna do it. I'm just gonna keep trying not to drink this Friday night and trying not to drink this Thursday night. And then it was Wednesday, Tuesday. And then before you knew it, you know, I was, I was pointed here and I came reluctantly. I actually lost, um, she didn't die, but I lost my best friend from high school because they just, they couldn't hang out with me anymore. And uh, they got sober. They went to Alcoholics Anonymous and got sober. I just didn't understand it. I just didn't understand. We were having a good time, weren't we? And, uh, and that's what it was until uh, quite a few years later. Um, my sobriety date is coming up next month and I'm so excited because I love St. Patrick's Day because that's my sobriety date and I'm Irish. And, uh, so I'm coming up on 28 years, which is crazy incredible. Like 28 years. I mean, yeah, I'm not gonna say I got sober at two, but I got sober like almost 20, you know, I was almost 28, like a month shy of turning 28. So half of my life I've been a member of Alcoholics Anonymous and almost in good standing for most of that time. Um, and this has been my home group for the past 24 years of those 28 years. I've been accountable uh, with the service commitment since I got here. And, uh, and Michael, don't get too cushy in my seat over there. That is my seat. And, uh, and uh, I believe that I, I've earned it, but I, I know it could be taken away at any moment, you know, if I pick up a drink. And if I don't do the things that you are all doing today by showing up here, and uh, probably most of you in this room have done the same thing from the time you woke up this morning that that I have done too, you know, to help us stay sober. And, and I hope I could talk a lot about that tonight, because um, you know my drinking has it, it was 
I had consequences. I mean, you know, thank God they weren't severe. Uh, I wasn't put in prison, but for some of the consequences of my behavior uh, while drinking and even in sobriety, I really should have, have um, paid dearly. And I got off the hook many times. And, you know, all of those times I would look back and be like, he, he, he got away with that one. And I'm not kidding. I like, I did that into sobriety for, for a few years with my behavior, not my drink. There was no drinking anymore, but you know, that, that active alcoholism, that I self me part of our disease was flaming inside of me, as some of you know, you know, because you were my friends during a lot of that time. And I did lose some friends during that time as well. Um, but, but this is basically what happened. I grew up in a town and three quarters of it was a cemetery. And I had three older sisters and I could not wait to drink with them. But they didn't want me drinking with them because I was too young. And they were already, you know, going off onto bigger and better things outside of that little hometown. And I just felt like, well, when is it gonna be my turn? So when I finally got that first night out with my high school friends, you know, it, it was somewhat magical, but I always had that voice in the back of my head, like, you know, I, I better keep this, you know, at bay, you know, I better keep this under control because all that that I learned in health class, you know, whatever. So I have to tell you, I did have a sense of control over the drinking for many years. Um, I mean, obviously there were nights that I was completely out of control and there were so many mornings after that I was trying to put, you know, pieces together of what happened the night before, you know, by people's attitudes and, you know, no return phone calls or showing back up into, whatever bar or restaurant I was working in, and th now they're not talking to me, and I'm like, uh, you know, now what I do here, and then losing jobs, losing jobs. I never was able to keep a job. Well, I couldn't keep a day job, because there was no way I was gonna wake up in the morning. I mean, I tried it so many times. And then eventually, I was losing those restaurant jobs, which was, you know, pretty pitiful. But uh, that last job, I worked at for 17 or 19 years in Hoboken, and uh, my first two years, I was I was still active and you know thank God it was a Mexican restaurant they had wicked strong margaritas and that's what took me down because I was a Coors Light drinker because that's how I controlled my drinking and I had a wooden leg and I could drink for hours you know drinking beer so I went out early and stayed out late and I was you know I had to search those levels of the people that were going to be out even later than that you know and then of course that leads into other things that. I have like a fuzzy recollection over and, and those you know nights up or mornings where you're staring at the ceiling like is this ever gonna end you know and then uh, and then you just do it all over again you know and you just feel just a little bit worse and a little bit worse and a little bit worse but the one promising thing that I had going for myself is I did I started college you know in my mid-20s and thank God because that's where I got sober at Rutgers in Newark and thank you like for all of those dots that got connected during those last couple of years, you know, I I, I got diagnosed with with a, something a tuberculosis where I had to go on medication. I couldn't drink for six months, and you know, and th this is my story. And I, I told the doctor I'll, I'll take the medication in January, and it was October, and she was like, "No, you take that today." And, and I was like, "I have Halloween." Thanksgiving, Christmas, and New Year's. And then I'm also calculating my birthday in April. 
But, uh, but then she made me an appointment to go upstairs and talk to the drug and alcohol counselor. And from there, they put me in a student group. And these students were 18, 19 years old, and they had a few years of sobriety under your belt. And I thought, you know, who do they think they are? And I literally say this all the time, because this is what I said to them during one of our, you know, sessions. I said, you're not even 21, and like, you haven't even danced on top of a bar yet. You know, like, like that was some badge of honor that I held. And I actually did, because I had to I'd dance on top of the bar every hour at that bar, and then eventually I got fired. <laughs> Coming off the bar, I'm sure. But uh, it was, it was pretty, sad you know that these kids were just trying to help me but you know i i felt fingers being pointed at me and, and that people were judging me and uh but then that that last horrific day you know i did some gross things that night bouncing around the bars in hoboken and i was married and you know i filled him in on some of my excursions during the night and i don't know why i guess i was i don't know i was probably just crying for help and uh the next morning as I was sick, you know, on my knees, and no, actually, I wasn't on my knees yet. I was, I was sick. He was cleaning up after me, and then he started telling me about some of the things and who I had been with the night before, and uh, that's when I hit my knees for the first time. And you know, I, I say this as if it happened yesterday. I lived in a basement apartment, apartment in Hoboken. The ceiling was like right here. The pipes were right here, and. Uh, and I got down on my knees and I prayed to God for the first time and I felt like that there was, like the heat was coming through the pipes and I could hear the banging noises and I felt like, you know, that that was something, you know, that I, I couldn't do this anymore. Those kids in school are right. I don't drink like a normal person, God, please help me. And from that day to this, I don't, it, it was plucked out of me. It, the desire to drink was plucked out of me and over those these past 28 years, I could probably not even fill up one hand with how many times the thought of drink came back. But any time that those times have happened, there was always, you know, anger and resentment fueled behind that close call or that, you know, that thought, that, that wicked, undescribable, like, where, you know, where did that come from, you know? And, I don't know what it was this time. I, I, it was probably fear. It was like the first month or two into the pandemic, you know, when we were truly in lockdown. And uh, I, my dad used to live with me and, until he passed away five five years ago. And something happened. I like I leaned up in my recliner and I was just staring at his bedroom door, which was closed, you know, and. Uh, and I got really sad and I felt alone and scared. You know, I don't know if some of you could identify with that during that time, you know, like what's gonna happen. And, uh, and then I looked at my cabinet, my kitchen, and I remembered that there was a few bottles of alcohol in my kitchen. And I mean, I have guests over the years and family and whatever. And I, I got like a little hyper. I'm like, well, I am alone, who would know? I'd probably be fine before we get out of this. And I was like, ah, oh, okay. And I was like, I think I need you, you know, like, God, where are you, you know? And I was just directed to bed. And I went to bed, didn't think about it. In the morning when I was walking up through my kitchen to go to the bathroom, I looked over, something pulled me, and I was like, ooh. 
And I went over there and I took what was under there and I, I have a four family house and I put it out in the foyer and I put a note on it to, to my tenants upstairs and I, no one's ever thanked me for it or said, you know, what was that all about? I bought you to drink, why is there alcohol in there? But, uh, but that, you know, I, for me that was a close call, you know, but for me that was like, I have the power of God working in my life and I, you know, that is a power that I can't take for granted. And there's a lot of work that comes with having, being granted that power. And there's work, and the book says strenuous work, like vigorous action. That's not just showing up for meetings or, you know, playing cards on a Friday night. I mean, that, it's like serious, serious going out of my way for you. I'm not wired like that. To this day, I'll admit that. I wake up, it's it's game on Cynthia, okay? Number one, what am I gonna get? And then, you know, we were just talking about this, like immediately, the book says two words, on awakening. That doesn't mean 40 minutes down the road in the shower or, you know, <laughs> it's on awakening. That means before I probably am checking emails and texts and phone calls that I missed, you know? Like that's on awakening. You know, we consider the thought for the, our, our plan for the day, you know? And for me, I, that's my opportunity to talk to God. You know, I thank God for another opportunity that I get to show up for him, you know? And I'm mechanical, I go with the third and seventh step prayer right out of the books, page 63 and 76, man-made, I love it. You know, thank you, Bill. And I, I say my prayers and I, t I have a conversation with God. You know, if I can later, I'm in my recliner and I do more meditation. I'm not a very meditative spiritual person. Like I hear some of you are, that's great. Maybe someday I'll be there, I hear about it. <laughs> but a few minutes a day, I admit to, you know, it's, it's worked so far. But, but that's like an important thing for me to do is like God, where? You know, do you want me to go? How do you want me to be? Where am I showing up for you? You know, I it took me a very long time, and I, I'm going to pray right now that you all stick around long enough to share all of these years of sobriety like we have. But I pray that you get this and you practice it. It is a practice, just like yoga, which I don't do anymore. But it was a <laughs> I was so, like, lean, and people commented on my arms. But that took time, you know. That didn't come overnight. This is not an overnight matter. The book says it, you know. So it is a practice. So that peace and serenity that you guys were telling me about for a long time, I wasn't there yet because I wasn't putting you and God first. God, you, other, and then myself, you know. God, God what kids of yours am I going to be giving attention to today? So I have to ask for that power because I don't have it without, without God. So anyway, now during the, so, all right, so let me backtrack and just to let you know, the first time I did go through the steps was with a woman I met here, Arisa. She was my first real sponsor. You know, she was the first woman that I trusted with my information. She was the first woman I took direction from. And she was the first woman who, really opened up that book with me and explained things to me. And, you know, we 
she pointed out, so I couldn't point out anything, she pointed out the promises, the prayers, the warnings, the directions, references to God, because there's a lot of references to God in there that don't start with G, you know, or a capital P. There's plenty of references to God. And, you know, and then I had to find the areas that I identified with or some, you know, bristly feelings that maybe I don't agree with, you know, and, um, and I had that big book experience and I was able to do a fourth and fifth step to the best of my ability at that time. It was pretty, you know, lame. If I look back on it now, it was a lot of check marks. But, uh, you know, our step work has evolved over the past several years. And um, that was my first attempt of really making amends. And I, I made a few amends, you know, my husband, my ex-husband at that point, and uh, some boy, boyfriends, high school friends, a couple of family members, but then I put the brakes on, you know, because I just was gliding around AA, you know, just having fun, really relying on that one part of the triangle, that uh, that fellowship part of the triangle. And, you know, I did pay dearly for it. I, I had some raw, painful experiences, you know, they say that pain is the touchstone of growth. Okay. It took a lot of, a lot of pain. And, you know, I've said this over the years, I, looking back, of course, everything is in, is like a Monday night or Monday morning quarterback. But when I look back in hindsight, when I went through all of those years in my sobriety, it was quite often that it landed in that, on that five year curve. Five years, I hit a weird, rocky bottom. You know, that's when I was going through the steps with Arisa and I started having some weird stuff going on at home. 10 years, I hit another bottom, 15, 20. But it was my 20th year that I, I'm telling you, and my friends here know, I really hit a really broad, raw bottom here. And, and I, that incomprehensible demoralization, you know, I had it written all over me. Um, you know, not, I, I thought, you know, I was doing something in, in hiding and secret, but you know, it was obvious what I was up to. You know, I, I was using my own, you know, thoughts and will and actions that I thought was best for me and I harmed others. Um, but you know, that was that year that the year after, you know, the damage, the damage control year was my biggest year of growth. and. You know, I'm so grateful for that year and, and, the, and the problems that I, of my own making. And all my problems are always of my own making, obviously. But I, I'm so grateful for all those situations that had happened because it brought me to a deeper level of emotional desperation here. I needed to get rearranged inside. And this is, now, I, I just wanna visit step six and seven. Six and seven, you know, some people think it gets glossed over because there's only two paragraphs in the big book, but they're very potent paragraphs. You know, when Bill uses the word all, he means all. You know, when the, it, willingness is, is a, something that Arisa or any other sponsor that I had could purchase for me, could push on me, could convince me, you know, it had to come from within. I needed to want this what you guys had more than what I was producing on my own. And I needed that willingness. And then the humility that comes with step seven. Now I've done very humiliating things, thank God, to get me an Alcoholics Anonymous and to get me to that desperation. 
you know, very humiliating, but it's a lot different than, than being humble, you know. To being humble, to, to admit my faults, and to make changes in my life. I cannot, after discovering those character defects, doing a fourth and fifth step properly with a sponsor, after identifying those grosser handicaps, I mean, not just selfish, dishonest, self-seeking, and frightened, but you know, identifying maybe seven or eight serious character defects that I've been carrying on my back for 40, you know, how actually close to 50 years of my life that I gave me adrenaline, it gave me this desire, you know. Um, when I realized that those things were harmful to me and others and really wanting to get rid of them, I can't get rid of them. I cannot, and nowhere in either the 12 and 12 or the big book does it say that we work on our character defects. We don't. God is the only power that can remove that from me. And when I get those character defects in line with God's will, they, some of them could actually turn into assets. You know, I mean, not all of them, trust me, but you know, like say for instance, you know, I fall into a tendency of being a gossip. I mean, even at my age, I'm 55, you know, like people should have outgrown that decades ago. But you know what stops gossip is having to go and make amends for gossip. And I'm not saying that I'm going telling the person, you know, we were chatting about you at the, at the Broadway diner, absolutely not. But when you're making amends for gossip, what's left is that now I'm growing into a compassionate person for somebody else, you know? Like maybe, just maybe, they're experiencing something that I've already experienced and maybe I could be helpful instead of talking about that. You know, when this was really brought to my attention, those seven and a half years ago, that's when I feel like the, the, that inside shift really took place and the freedom started coming. But it doesn't stop there. To get rid of our character defects and to change the behavior is walking and knocking on doors, you know, making those amends. Making those amends that I pooped out on years ago. Maybe because of laziness, a lot because of fear, because I didn't want to go to prison for the, the stuff that I took. And um, also because I didn't feel that my mother and my brother deserved those amends, you know? And that was that last year was the year of real spiritual growth. I made my amends to my mom, which some of you know, she, she passed away shortly after that, thank God. You know, um, I made my amends to my brother the day we buried my mom, actually. And that was the last time I talked to him because he died of this disease a year later. And I went back to that employer in Hoboken and I mean, crazy enough, he just called me this morning to meet for breakfast, you know, like we are friends today. I never had a conversation with that guy in the 17 or 19 years that I worked for him, you know, and today we're friends and I'm not in prison <laughs> and I'm not in prison. Okay. That, that's the prison where I was at. And I say this all the time. I walked around with this dark black cloud over my head, fear of financial insecurity what plagued me, even if I had money in the bank, I was always in fear that I was gonna lose it, I'm not gonna have enough, I'm never gonna live, or I'm not gonna have money long enough for me to live on, you know, that fear of that, the fear of people, you know, like 
doing things behind my back because look at what I was doing behind others. You know, I, all, I was plagued by all of this fear. When I finally cleaned up those last major amends, I can honestly say, never thought about it again. Like, it, I am not driven by that, by that, you know, anxiety anymore. And wow, like what a freedom, what a serious freedom that that is. That is priceless, that's, that's nothing that I could ever go and see in a concert, like that high that I get in a concert is, is a comparison, but that's like fleeting and lasts for, well, spring four hours and two minutes, but you know, who's, who's bragging? But you know what I mean, like I, like I wake up and I go to bed every day feeling that same way. Um, so I'm gonna close with, with, and I probably have said this at a meeting before, um, Again, back with that 11th step, we were just, just talking about it before the meeting. Um, when we retire at night, I construct constructively, I'm not gonna turn myself into like, you know, all crazy with maybe a couple of mistakes I made. I'm gonna be constructive about it and I'm gonna review my day. But here's two things that I, that I started quite a few years ago, probably about, you know, those seven, eight years ago. Um, my sponsor had told me, given me direction, um, that I am not to do my nightly inventory, or I have to do it before I touch the remote control. So therefore, I have a better chance of a better head on my shoulders when I'm reviewing my day. So therefore, and if that could be 7.30, 8.30, whatever time it is, maybe, just maybe, I have an opportunity to go back and call somebody, or shoot them a text, or whatever it may be. Um, to see if there is something that, I could, that needs to be cleared up um, instead of 1.30 at night after I just you know, binge watched the whole season of whatever, you know, whatever station just dropped. And then the other tip that I started doing is those questions, those nightly questions. I not only do it at night, but at 2.30 every day, my alarm goes off on my phone and I don't have to open up my spiritual toolkit app anymore because I pretty much know those 10 questions by heart. But I do those questions halfway through the day because perhaps by 2.30 in the afternoon, I may have stepped on someone's toes, pissed somebody off, said the wrong thing, cut somebody off, or, and now I have an opportunity to change the course of my day because we know what that ripple effect it looks like in a, in a negative way. you know. If I'm that untreated alcoholic, alcoholic at 27 years sobriety, how many other people am I mistreating and they're mistreating and they're mistreating just because I woke up on the wrong side of the bed? But also, let's look at the ripple effect in, in the other way. You know, like how am I serving God and the people about me during the day? Because perhaps, just perhaps, you know, that, oh, just go on ahead, you know. I love driving in the fast lane. You know, but why don't you just go on ahead or at the cash register? I mean, people talk about all those opportunities that we have all the time, you know, but why not take that opportunity to, to show somebody else how Alcoholics is working in your life, right? I love Alcoholics Anonymous so much. I would do anything that was asked of me for Alcoholics Anonymous. I mean, I am back in my seats in all my regular meetings. I. And you know, I hope that you guys are back out there too in other meetings that you go to because there are people out there that need us 
and they need to see us in person. So thank you all so much for being here. My name is Matt and I'm an alcoholic. I'm sure the Atlanta group, let's thank tonight's speakers, Gail, Will, and Cynthia.